Um, you know, I know as a pastor that I cannot change anyone's mind when it comes to believing Scripture. This is something that I have accepted within pride of myself that I don't care how awesome of a sermon that I give, I'm not changing anyone's mind. I can probably make you cry with the best of them. I can do all that. But in regards to a heart change and a mind change, I don't have that ability to do it. And as I said last week for Palm Sunday, that we can easily walk into worship services like today and simply sit and listen to the scriptures being recited, as my beautiful wife just did, scriptures regarding Christ's resurrection. And guess what? We can sit here and actually truly not get it. We go through the motions, if you will, year in and year out. We come to church simply because, guess what? It's what you do on days like today. I've been guilty of it myself. As I tell my congregation, I don't stand up here and shoot conviction bullets at everyone because I have it figured out. I know exactly what that's like. I do, however, trust and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to take God's Word and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the words spoken... Guess what? That they plant and root themselves into the hearts of those who have never known such a good news and such a love. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just to let you guys know here that Paul is quoting the prophet Joel in Joel 2.32, claiming whoever calls on the name of the Lord will indeed be saved. A few scriptures before in Romans 10.10, Paul also says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, many people in here today hear these scriptures and we feel relief because at some point in our lives we've called on Christ out loud and even verbally professed Him to be Savior. In context here, which I always like to break down because I want you guys to really truly pick up what I'm putting down here, is that Paul is writing a letter to Christians in Rome who are severely being persecuted. Daily, they are being killed for their beliefs and following of Jesus Christ. A primary way that they would determine who was a Christian was after they, would ca they were captured, they were simply asked who was Lord. And the captured had two responses that they would give. Either Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. If the latter response was given, it would be evidence that there was something already present in the individual, in the Christian. It was a heart that believes, which then means that person is justified to a holy God. So you see, when you take a scripture like Romans 10.10, 10, you cannot simply just use it as a way to say that all you need to do is say Christ is Lord. Because guess what? When people in Rome said it, it meant that they had a heart, they had a belief and a faith that developed an obedience to serve Christ, even if it meant their death. It's pretty deep, right? When you think about it. And when you look at the context of the prophet Joel's passage that was quoted, you find a similar situation with the Israelites. The people of Judah had gone astray. We can all attest and say amen or ouch to that. Which led to an enemy that was about to obliterate them. But our merciful God calls for repentance, which then leads to restoration. So when Joel and Paul say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will indeed be saved, we're once again not looking at a simple verbal confession. This word call on, this word confess, it has meat and potatoes to it. It has action, it has life to it. 
This is a turning away from a life of disobedience and a life of willful sin and turning to a God who saves and guess what? Restores. This salvation not only happens in a moment, but that moment is validated by a life that bears fruit of true repentance and true turning away from a life once lived. A life where a person is indeed born again, John 3, being made a brand new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and having their heart of stone literally be turned into a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36.26. Guess what, guys? This is not a perfect life. Amen or ouch. Not a perfect life. But guess what? It is a sanctified one. It's a one where person, the person is pursuing Christ, a life that is no longer concerned about the ways of the world, but a life that desires to live for God. Longing for Christ and is literally being transformed as it seems not to fit anymore into the narratives of this crazy world that we all live in. A life to those who do not know God, guess what? It may seem downright foolish. A life that can only be lived with the knowledge of the gospel, So I ask you guys to stay with me here. Going back to the prophet Joel, he knew that the people of Judah also had this issue with idolatry or who they thought God to be, which was making their own, quote, God, which was no God at all. Coming to a false God, a God of your own imagination, will not do anyone any good. The God of your opinion does not exist and cannot save you. I preach this every Sunday to this church. You must come to the God of the Bible. And quoting Charles Spurgeon, the pity of it is that most of people in these days worship a God of their own invention. They do not make an image of clay or of gold, but they construct a deity in their minds according to their own thoughts. They proudly judge as to what God ought to be, And they will not receive God as he really is. What can be more wicked than an attempt to imagine a better God than the one true and living God? I've been guilty of this myself. What can be more wicked, once again, to attempt to imagine a better God than the one true and living God is the deity of your fancy has no existence. And I would recommend that you do not trust in him. End quote. Proverbs 1.7, a proverb that we have all heard before, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. To break this down for you guys, knowledge comes from studies and collections of facts, and wisdom and instruction comes from God. We've met a lot of smart people in our life, right? Some of us in here are even pretty smart ourselves. But to properly barrel up and give proper identity to what's factual and what's proper, we must have a reverence for God, a fear of Him that stems from respect and awe because of who He is, not who we develop Him or think of Him to be. Words such as holy, sovereign, righteous, just, merciful, wrathful, creator, father, and so on. As I say every Sunday, just simply read your Bibles. If we dilute that all respect and fear in any way, we then muddy up what is factual and what is truth, which does nothing but cause the uprising of foolishness, which can lead to diluted teachings and a diluted gospel. Amen? Amen. To give an example, many churches today even preach about a Christ who died for them because he loved the unlovable, he dined with sinners and walked with the unapproachable. 
He performed miracles and loved orphans and widows. He was against legalism. An awesome and loving Savior. Now you guys are sitting here and you may go, well, guess what? Jesus did all those things. I say amen, he did. But guys, I want you to know this, and I said this last week, that Jesus Christ did not die because he loved everyone in this way that we could use to promote it in our churches to draw people in and feel comfortable. He did not. His claim to be God and not just Savior struck to the hearts of many. In John 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. This was blasphemy to the religious leaders, yet, but we also read on numerous accounts that those who walked with Christ found his teachings hard and ended up leaving him. The people who demanded signs are the ones who Jesus referred to as a wicked and perverse generation. The parables even exposed those who did not have the ears to hear, guess what, even the eyes to see. Even during Paul's ministry of preaching the gospel of Christ, we read in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas, because of his love for the world, he deserted me and has gone back to Thessalonica. See guys, when you start to preach that Jesus is Lord and not just Savior, you're making the claim that he is deserving of our worship and deserving of our lives being lived for him. Awe, fear, and respect. This is where our hearts are exposed because just like the Israelites... Just like the religious leaders and the temporary followers, our hearts in their natural state do not desire to seek a holy God, nor do they desire to worship one. She's fine. Amen. Thank you. That's awesome. Guys, we do not in our flesh like to be uncomfortable. Can we say amen to that? Amen. We don't like to be uncomfortable. She nods her head at that one. The true living God created the heavens and the earth. The true and living God is the potter and we are simply the clay. We can do, he can do what he wants, when he wants, all in accordance to his divine will. A will that we find ourselves finding difficult to trust, which should do nothing but bring us to him for the strength that we need. Did you guys say amen to that? All of us in here know what it's like to try to trust in this will and we find it extremely difficult. But we can't revert from a truth. However, this truth is, is that we desire things in our flesh which keep us blinded to the truth in our natural state. Romans 3 says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their, and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Guys, this is the generation that we live in. This is the world that we live in. Watch the news for five minutes. Watch social media for two minutes. But guess what, guys? This is us. This used to be us. In this state, we can develop a cultural and social Christ, however, that more so justifies our sins rather than a Christ that exposes them to us, a Christ that brings us to true salvation. Why does a Christ that shows me my sins and makes me uncomfortable matter, Pastor Josh? You continue on. 
in Romans 3. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I didn't know that I was doing this bad stuff until I saw that this was indeed bad stuff. This was the purpose of the law given to us. This scripture speaks the truth to you and I that guess what? No one in this room right now, I don't care what you look like, what you've done, guess what? No one is righteous. I don't care how good you clean yourself up. I don't, know how, I don't care how good your resume looks and the things that you've done in your life when it comes to good deeds. When it comes to the heart of things, which is what our Lord and Savior looks at, guess what? All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Period. That's what makes us deserving of his wrath. Period. You've been to prison before, don't know Christ, you're up for judgment. You're the sweet old lady that lives down the road that gives everyone cookies and has done great things for 50, 60 years, but you don't know Christ, guess what? You're in the same room with the individual that's been to prison. It's a heart game when it comes to the Lord. So those Ten Commandments, the ones that we look at, you've probably seen on walls that you look at and you think of it as, as these rules and these burdens. Guess what? These commandments were never meant to save anyone. They're just an exposure of how sinful we really are and guess what? How holy and righteous and just that God really is. How many of you in this room have lied before? You better show your hands or you're lying. <laughs> Scripture says, don't put any, or the Ten Commandments say, don't put any other gods before me. How many of you in this room, and you don't need to show your hands if you don't want to, but how many of you in here can honestly say that God is your first love in your life right now? Oh, that, that's like a gut punch, right? These are the things that, guess what? They don't, they don't bring us to God in shame. They're actually the things that expose our need for this Savior. They're the things that expose why we all need Jesus Christ. Not just some of us, not just a few of us, all of us. The world needs a Savior. This is what Jesus took to the cross on our behalf. You're forgiven in your sin nature, but guess what? The blood forgives current sin, future sin. And when you understand and you embark in that grace, guess what happens? You start to live a life where you see your sin. You hate your sin and you repent of your sin. And you begin to change over time as well by this truth and this knowledge. It is because of this church that this holy God is justified in holding true to his just nature by giving us the rightful punishment of death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We deserve this payment. It started in the garden. Why do you think Jesus Christ rose from the dead? He knew no sin. So guess what? In the grand scheme of things, by the rules of the game, since he didn't know sin, guess what? Death couldn't hold him. We know sin all too well. We've danced in it. We've wallowed in it. We've been slaves to it. Many of you in here sit still slaves to it, needing to be freed from it. Verse 21 in Romans 3 continues, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All. 
Guys, God handed over Jesus as a sacrifice to atone for our sins with his blood. He made it possible for us to be redeemed from our sin and the death that came along with it. God did this to show his own righteousness. God showed that he was just. His sacrifice of his son for our sin made it possible for him to offer us an eternal life without leaving human sinfulness unpunished. Romans continues in verse 23. Get this, guys. Here's an amazing truth. It can scare you or it can make you feel great all at the same time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you look around this room today, guess what? Everyone's fallen short in here. Everyone. But guess what? As it continues on in verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift. His grace. Nothing you could do. No law you could obey well enough. It's by His grace, which is a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as an, I love this word, propitiation by His blood. This settlement of a God who is angry even at our sin. Jesus paid that price. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, guess what? He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So guys, let's think about this. God demonstrated His justice, His righteousness, along with His love. God also wanted to be the justifier of those who had faith in Jesus. Only the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, church, accomplished both upholding the justice, justness of God and the merciful love of God as well. So guys, I want you to understand this, that when we trust in Christ for our salvation, for our place in God's family, here's an amazing truth as well. Just as truthful as that we've all fallen short of God's glory, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He changes his verdict from guilty to redeemed. He can do this with perfect holiness and perfect righteousness because those sins have in fact been punished through the life, death, and what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I ask you guys, has this truth set itself in your hearts like it did with the Christians that Paul was writing to in Rome? Does it live effectually out in your life that you truly walk in grace knowing that your sins are forgiven and it's expressed, not perfectly, not perfectly whatsoever, but in a way to where you are focused on Christ. He is your default in your daily life. Have you truly called upon the name of the one true God as the prophet Joel says and Paul echoes? Maybe today is the day that that finally happens. Maybe today is the day where you've come to realize that the lies you have been, that you've been telling yourself that you're too bad for God to love you, or even this one that I hear, you're too good to where you don't even need them. They're both lies. These lies keep us blind to the truth of this good news. I ask you guys to think of this. 
Think of your sin right now and think of this truth. The greater you, the sinner, guess what? The greater he, the Savior. He is Lord of all, King of kings. He did not die for you because you were worth dying for. You know why he died for you, church? Because he's love. There's no standard that you had to meet for him to look at you and go, yep, this person I need to go to earth and die for. He just did it because he's simply love. He didn't save you because you're a sinner. You know why he saved you, church? Because he's Savior. Capital S. Period. We don't need to overcomplicate this. We tend to do that. When we realize all of this, we see his grace and feel the power of it. We now bear the fruit of a person who was once dead in sin and now brought to life in Christ, showing him to the fallen world we are called to stay in. We start to live a life that I talked about earlier in the sermon where you start to, guess what, love the unlovable. Approach the unapproachable. You take Christ with you in the midst of preaching to other fellow sinners. There's just something about you that just seems foolish even to the world. That is living your grace in effect and not living this grace in vain. We live lives that are devoted to Him, which means we give up all of our lives and our comforts for Him. Guess what? We even suffer for Him, even if it so brings Him the glory so others may come to know Him and His love. Church, our faith in Christ is not a power, but it's a trust in God that we will need because of this crazy, wicked world that we all live in today. All of us in here have experienced something that's fruit of the fallen world that we live in. Death, illness, addiction, pain, divorce, whatever you guys want to call it, we've all experienced it. You will need him to follow him, period. The minute you think you can do it on your own, you're going to find out real quick, as many of you probably have already in this room, it doesn't work out that well. I ask you guys this question in closing, a few questions. Do you long to live for Christ and not for yourself? Do you see your sin now and want to just hold fast to Christ because of who he is and what he's done? Let Christ know you finally see him for who he is, which means, guess what? You finally see yourself for who you truly are, a sinner in need of a Savior. Not just once, not just at church, but every day of your life until your breathing stops. Guys, what a love and what a mercy. I ask you guys to cry out to him in repentance. Ask for his forgiveness and feel his grace and his love. Guys, today marks the day where thousands of years ago, our God, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, which means all that was said, all that was promised, was, is, and will be. What a hope for us to live in every day as the redeemed. And what a glory as well. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So I'm going to have a couple gentlemen come up here and read some scripture. I'm going to have you guys open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Brandon and Brent.
1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 34. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherewithin ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas and then the twelve and that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to this present but some are fallen asleep <clears throat> after that he was seen of James and then of all the apostles and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not met to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching, then, <coughs> excuse me, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also in vain. Yea, we were found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the <coughs> excuse me, dead not ri dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, yea, yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since man came death, by man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man is his own order. Christ the firstfruits afterwards that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, 
Then shall the Son also be subjected unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why we stand in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast of Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we, we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. trumpet will sound and the dead 
will be raised imperishable, and we will be, char- we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying is written, will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Amen.